to remain standing. I invite you to do so just for a few moments longer. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Once again this morning, I want to begin reading at verse 5 of Philippians 2 and uh, read down through um, verse 11. This is God's word for us this morning. And uh, here's what God says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also uh, uh, yours uh, in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross therefore god has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You may be seated. Father, we are thankful for Jesus. We are thankful for this word concerning Christ. And our prayer, Father, is that now your Spirit would be at work, particularly in our hearts and minds, that as we consider this word again this week, that you would be opening our eyes and changing our lives. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last Lord's Day, uh, we uh, considered the deity of Christ. Jesus is God. Our one God is a community of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God. In other words, it's not a third, a third, and a third, but each person is fully God, co-equal, co-eternal. And in considering the reality of Christ's deity last week, we also focused upon something of the reason as to why it was necessary for Jesus to be God as a sacrificial substitute for us and for our salvation. Only an infinite eternal being could satisfy infinite justice that our sin warrants. Only a a member of God's own being offered up for us and for our forgiveness and bring about a relationship reconciliation that being God himself fully shows the depths of God's love for us. This morning, we now want to consider the humanity of Christ. Jesus became a man. Two things I want us to think about in terms of an outline. 
I want us to, first of all, see something similar outline to last week, actually, something of the reality of Christ's humanity. And then I want us to consider, like last week, but something of the reason for the importance or the necessity of Jesus' humanity. Bottom line, God and man, the God-man, Jesus is our gift at Christmas. He came for us and for our salvation. The reality of Jesus' humanity. Start off, yeah, I must say, give you a heads up, uh, that there is something spectacularly unique about Jesus. Now, he's unique in one sense just simply because he's one of the three members of the Godhead. Uh, and, and he is, is unique as God. He, God is in a category all his own, if you would. But even within the members of the Godhead, there is something unique about Jesus. He is the, the, the person of God who became a man. The God-man. He was always God. He was always in the form of God and therefore uh, an equal member with equal standing among the, the Godhead. And yet what Jesus does that's unique even among the other members of the Godhead is Jesus entered into this world, the world that he himself made. But he entered into this world by becoming a man. Look at our passage, Philippians 2, verse 7. It said, But he made himself nothing. Speaking of Jesus, who was in the form of God and did not consider equality with God a thing to be hung onto or grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Do you see the play on words here? He was in the form of God, and now he took on the form of a servant, uh, being born the passage goes on to say, in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Now, just like what we said last week concerning God, when it says he, he was in the form of God, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that he was merely a lot like God, uh, but not really. Just, just that when he, he, he took on the form of a servant and he became in the likeness of man. He was not merely a lot like man. Uh, he was not like man in kind of, kind of like, a, like a, uh, just a, a sheer shell of an appearance. He uh, truly was human. And he displayed the, the reality of his humanity. Let me give you three uh, factors about the reality of Jesus' humanity. First, the first reality of Jesus' humanity is that he was born into this world. Now, now God doesn't have a birthday. Uh, but Jesus, the God-man... Did. Again, and, and, and certainly, if you read in the gospel accounts, there is something certainly special about the circumstances of, of Jesus' conception. His mother Mary being a virgin and the Holy Spirit being something of the, uh, of the agent of Jesus' conception in Mary. But Jesus as the God-man, as the member of the Godhead who, who 
becomes a man. Jesus, as the God-man, he was born into this world. God can't be born, but this unique God-man, this God who took on flesh, was brought into this world through the processes of birth. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5 say, say to us, but when the fullness of time had come, which my variation of that is at just the right time. At the full, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Or in the, the gospel account of Luke in chapter 2, as Joseph and Mary had, make, had made their way to Bethlehem. And while they were there, the time had come for her uh, to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, describing the birthday of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or just simply the, the broader description uh, that, that John's gospel gives to us in chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus demonstrates His full humanity in that He was born into this world. Second, a second factor of Jesus' humanity is that He was... Um, subject to the developmental processes of personhood. That proves humanity because, you know what? God doesn't develop. Uh, God, God doesn't get better over time. God has always been perfect only. And yet the God-man, the, the uniqueness of Jesus, in that when he was the God who took on flesh and became a man, he was subjected to the developmental processes of personhood. A couple of times, there's just a couple of ways it's expressed in Luke's gospel in chapter 2 as well. In verse 40, it says, and the child grew and became strong. Just think about it. How does God become strong? You know, you don't improve upon the mighty strength of God. And yet, and yet the God-man, he grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Or it says in verse 52 of Luke 2, um, and, and Jesus increased in wisdom. How does God increase in wisdom? Who among us would like fill God in on, on what he needs to know to supplement his wisdom categories? And, 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 and yet Jesus, the God-man who took on flesh and became a man, he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and in man. Or third, a third factor, just briefly, but, but he was subject to the limitations of life in this world and of, of being a, a mere mortal in that sense. In, in John 4, we're told he became weary. In John 19, we're told he became thirsty. In Matthew 4, we're told he became hungry. In Matthew 4, we're also told he became physically weak. And in Luke 23, we're told that he was exhausted, now, those are not terms that, that would fittingly describe God in any way, shape, form, or another. But this is terms that adequately describe Jesus, the God who became man. Or in Luke 23, 
Jesus was subjected to the human limitation of death. Just like God doesn't have a birthday, God can't die. He, he, he is the very source and definition and origin of life. And yet, the second person of the Godhead, eternal God who took on flesh and became a man, the God-man, He died on the cross. Now, a couple of other clarifying, clarifying factors about the reality of Jesus' de- deity. Uh, Jesus did not become a man by ending his existence as God. He didn't step out of one kind of realm of reality and, 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 and into another one by, by no longer being the former reality. No, Jesus remains God. And we, and we, and we explored a bit of that last week as to why it was necessary for him to be God for us and for our salvation. So he remains God. He still is, as he always will be, the second person of the Godhead. Jesus doesn't, in that sense, even dump anything. It says when he says he emptied himself and he, and he took on the form of a servant, really what he, has be, what he decided to do among the members of the Godhead is that as a servant, um, he would not use his rights and his prerogatives and his powers and his abilities for himself. But he would subject himself and, and, and therefore curtail the exercise of all of his abilities and rights and prerogatives to the will of his Father and for us and for our salvation. The other thing I would say is uh, in calling Jesus the God-man, Jesus isn't two people. Jesus is only and always one person. And this one person is, is, and yet is both a, a divine person and a human person. He is one person, eternal God, who adds to his divine nature a human nature. And the, the other thing I would say, just in, under the rubric of the reality of Jesus' humanity, is that once the word took on flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus now, from this point on, or from that point on, uh, now permanently remains the God-man. He he is both now and always. He will exist as God, but He will exist as the member of the Godhead who who will display life in flesh and bones. It is and forever will be the, a glorious and a glorified body displaying the, 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 the fullness of the glory of God. When we behold Jesus, even in our future um, uh, anticipation of the eternal state, when we behold Jesus, we will be beholding God in human flesh. And a beautiful, glorious, perfect, lovely display of humanity. Well, that's something of the reality of 
Jesus' humanity. Let me, let me really move on and touch on more uh, concerning the, 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 the reason for Jesus' humanity. Why is it important that Jesus, uh, who is God, should also literally, genuinely become a man? First of all, the Scripture makes this an important matter. The Scripture doesn't treat this as an optional thing, meaning like, ah, you could be a follower of Christ and faithfulness, and you can pick and choose if you believe Jesus is God or man or just whatever. You could, you could talk. No, 1 John chapter 4, verse 2, underscores the importance of believing and affirming in the humanity of Jesus, where it says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not uh, confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not from God. That's just John's way of saying, if, if you reject the genuine, real humanity of Jesus, you are not for Christ, you are against Christ. That you see how, how important of a matter it is in the biblical framework that we grasp something of the reality and that we grow to appreciate something of the reasons why it is so important that Jesus be a real man. Let me give you some of those factors of reasons as to why it's important, why it's necessary that Jesus be a man. Well, last week it was important that Jesus be God because only only the sacrifice, only a divine, eternal, infinite sacrifice could satisfy the eternal, infinite offense of God and satisfy the eternal, infinite justice of God. But who was it that offended God? Well, it was man. And so for that to be a proper, fitting substitute for us and for our salvation, that substitute had to be not only divine, but human. He had to be like us because he needed to be a true representative of us. He needed to represent us before God, and he needed to be an accurate representation of us. You see, the, the Bible describes this interesting framework. The, the, the Bible describes two uh, people in the pages of Scripture as representative heads of their race. The Bible describes Adam in the book of Genesis as the initial representative head of the human race. But the Bible also describes Jesus as, a, as a, uh, an Adam of another sorts, if you would, a, a second Adam, as the last man who will uh, be a, a, a head or a represent, representative of a new race. In Adam, in the first Adam, the whole human race experienced epic fail. You talk about someone being a super spreader. Adam was the original tragic super spreader. 
Through Adam, you and I inherit a fatal condition. In Adam, as our representative head, now don't go there, don't go, well, who says you get to be a representative head? If I was there, I would have done differently. Uh, There you go again, overselling yourself. No, in Adam, our representative head, there was a failure that was accounted to him and that also then lands upon us. In Adam, as our representative head, as the one who originally represented us before God, the, the arch, arch, arch type of, of humanity, uh, we all face the condemnation he earned. Now, here's the way Paul writes it in Romans 5, verses 18 and 19. Therefore, As one trespass, speaking of Adam in the garden, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, speaking of Jesus, leads to justification and life for all men. He goes on to write, For as by one man's disobedience, the first Adam, uh, the many were made sinners, So by one man's obedience, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Or as Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 15, as in Adam, all die. We were brought into this world with a sentence of death hanging over us because our representative head earned that for us and for himself. So as in Adam all die, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You see, Adam's epic failure originated in relationship to his original calling and mandate. Adam was assigned by God to rule the earth as a steward of God. He was, Adam, Adam and Eve were made in the image of God uh, unlike any other uh, created thing. They were crowned to rule creation. Genesis 1 verses 28 to 29 tell us, After God had made Adam and Eve in his own image, he says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Adam and Eve were given this special glorious uh, charge. They were made in the image of God to, to, in order to reflect that image of God before of all creation and to live in harmonious relationship with God as their creator. And yet, Adam and Eve, rather than rule over creation, they succumbed to uh, the instructions and the suggestions of a member of the created order, a, a serpent who is really uh, the ancient dragon, Satan. 
And, and the irony is that when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and were condemned, they no longer were given the full ability to rule over creation, but now they would be subject to creation. Now we would be ruled by creation. Because mankind in Adam rejected God and submitted to the serpent, Satan, who would now acquire temporary rule over this earth. The image of God would now be marred in mankind and the relationship with God would be estranged and severed. Man got it wrong. But now a man will come. And make it right. And now we have uh, two heads. We have Adam, who is the head over the old humanity, the humanity in bondage to creation, the humanity in bondage to sin and sorrow and suffering, the, the humanity that is condemned to be estranged eternally from God. And, but now we have the, uh, uh, the originator uh, of a new humanity, Christ who would restore humanity, who would bring about a new humanity. And and it, it occurs right in the middle of things not being right. In in, in the middle of things, uh, of, of man no longer being in his original place before God, Jesus is sent. And Hebrews 2 says much about the importance of Jesus as a true man who would be our true representative before God as a man. Let me just read a couple of verses from Hebrews chapter 2. Concerning Jesus, it says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Speaking of Jesus, who was God, was made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by his grace he might taste death for everyone. Or the next verse, Hebrews 2.10, For it was fitting that he... For whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make uh, the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. He enters into the human experience, subjected to all of the heartache and sorrow and temptation and suffering of humanity. Or in uh, Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 15 and verse 17, since therefore... The children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus came and became a man in order to die. For the debt, for the for the the, the 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 just penalty of our sin is death 
spiritual death, being estranged from God, but then ultimately physical death. Jesus came to taste that death. Jesus came to put death to death. That's why we do grieve this weekend. Friday night, our brother Bob breathes his last breath. Saturday morning, our beloved sister Sue breathes her last breath. But because of Jesus, we certainly grieve, but we don't grieve as the world grieves. We, we have an entirely different rest of the story take upon this. We gather this morning and all the more reason to celebrate the fact that Jesus faced death to release us from the bondage of the one who rules death, to release us from the fear of death. He, he, he took the sentence of death for us and for our salvation as our substitute. Jesus was subjected to every temptation and every aspect of sorrow and suffering that any of uh, us as humanity would face. Even the very imagery of what was going on in Matthew 4, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, it, it's, it's a wonderful demonstration of how Jesus succeeds where Adam failed. Jesus succeeds where everybody else in all the pages of the Scriptures failed. Jesus succeeds as the one who is the true righteous human. And so now Jesus is the first man of a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. In other words, we are now already a part of the new Creation. Oh, there's a whole bunch more of that new creation yet to come. But we are already, we are already a part of that future new creation. We are already a part of that right here and right now in Christ Jesus. Through what he suffered and to what all that he was subjected to, he overcame and lived obediently in all righteousness, fulfilling what was required of humanity. Hebrews 5 tells us that although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Even now this morning, before the sermon is ever done, the the warrant, the need, the necessity is to turn to Christ and to trust only in him. He's the only one who is truly righteous. He's the only one whose righteous sacrifice would atone for your sins and my sins. The only one who will give us victory over death. The only one who will provide us life and peace and joy and strength and hope and all things. Only Jesus God, man, the God-man. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 goes on to say that for our sake, he, meaning the Father, made him 
meaning Jesus, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, are you in Christ this morning? Are you trusting only in Jesus? Not your religious affiliation, not your, your nationality, not your, your family heritage, but are you in Christ? Are you trusting only in Christ so that in him we might become the righteousness of God? In Christ, we are a part of a new humanity. I'm not the same old Joe. In Christ, we are altogether different. Jesus is now the standard of our lives. It is him that we follow. It is him that we emulate. It is him that we imitate. It is he who is our example of what it looks like to be a person, what it looks like to be a man, and how to live as a person. And it is him and him alone who is the source of strength and hope and peace to live the life required of living as followers of him. Even the very passage we've read in Philippians implies the Jesus as our exemplar, where it says in verse 5, have this mind, this mindset in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. But in 1 John chapter 2, it says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way as he walked. Or Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 2, for to this you have been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that we might follow in his footsteps. Oh, Jesus is infinitely more than an example for us to follow, but he is nothing, he is is not anything less than as an example to seriously study and pursue and meditate on and to follow. You say, but I still don't know that I have the ability to imitate him. I don't trust in my own abilities or talents nor resources. Good. Neither should I. He's not only the example of what humanity is to look like and the founder of a new humanity, he is the one who provides all that is needed for us as this new humanity to walk as he walked. Hebrews 4 Since then we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so Peter would add to that in 2 Peter chapter 1, his divine power has granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We have a victor, and his name is Jesus, the one human who got it right, and now the one human who offers to us life and hope and peace and all things. Perhaps Bob and Sue would be thinking of some, a poem like this. 
I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came in glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groanings of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Father, we thank you for our victor, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the true man, the true human, who has lived what was required of you when we failed. And now is our substitute the one who has come for us and for our salvation. And Father, we pray this morning that as we marvel at Christmas, that we would marvel at God who took on flesh and came and dwelt among us. That we would marvel at the one who got it right and made it right. The one who would grant us pardon the one who would bestow upon us righteousness, the one who would bring us to you. And so we worship and adore the Lord Jesus. We thank you that we are his forever through faith in him. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this song.